and welcome back to iBiology, the DP revision podcast that should not be your only resource. Please go also listen to Mr. Dunn. But if you do want to learn along with us today, we're uh, using, like always, the Oxford IB Diploma Program Biology Textbook and Study Guide. So today we're going to be starting the Human Physiology chapter. I'm saying starting because it's a large chapter, so we're going to be splitting it up. Um, we're, so first, uh, now we're going to look at uh, Unit 6.1, 6.2 and 6.4. Mm-hmm. So which are digestion and absorption, uh, the circulatory system and the respiratory system. So let's start with the digestive system. Hey. Um, on page 280 of the textbook 72 of the study guide, you'll see... It drawn out. Um, there's several parts, and you do you might be asked to draw it, specifically also the intersection between this uh, between the stomach and the small intestine. Yes. So, but first let's talk about what do the different parts do. So in the beginning, if you've ever eaten something, you probably know we start with the mouth. <laughs> uh, essentially, there's we start with there are two uh, there are two parts to digestion: mechanical digestion and chemical digestion. Mechan- I remember that one. <laughs> oh yes, also we have a guest today. <laughs> An alumnus who has not done anything with IB since then. Yay. The main thing I remember about the digestive system is when I drew the diagram, I had a giraffe human. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Happens. It does. Anyway, so the mouth, there's mechanical and chemical digestion. Mechanical digestion is just breaking down uh, the food. Chemical digestion specifically... Uh, breaking down uh, the molecules that are often quite large, for example, carbohydrates. Um, you break amylose down into maltose and then glucose. Mm-hmm. So, the mouth is mainly mechanical uh, digestion, and it also mixes it uh, mixes it with saliva, which uh, both helps it, uh, which both lubricates it in order to let it slide down the rest of the alimentary canal. Aren't there also like enzymes in the saliva? Yeah, that's, that's what I was that's about what to go to. <laughs> I want to seem smart, okay? Yes, you're, yeah. very, you're seeming very smart, Matilda. Okay. I'm very proud of you. Anyway, there's also enzymes um, in the saliva, which help to break, uh, which help to break down starch mainly. So that's why when you're chewing bread for a long time, it can start to taste sweet because it's already breaking it down. Uh, Matilda's mind is being blown uh, in real time. <laughs> anyway, then the um, so the entire tract. Uh, it's called the alimentary canal. Lit. So, the esophagus moves down the food by peristalsis. We're going to get to what exactly that uh, entails later. <laughs> then, you, you know it waves it down. <laughs> it does wave it down. <laughs> then the, uh, okay, but then the stomach, um, it basically, uh, it makes it a lot more acidic, which allows it to kill pathogens mm. as well, and uh, bacteria, which are pathogens. Um and why do I still get sick if I eat something that went bad, if everything gets well, killed by... Well, it's not just the bacteria in there. It's also certain things that you can't properly digest or that are yeah. poisonous to you when they are... Digested. Do yeah. things survive the acidity of the stomach? Yes, certain do. things do, like um, uh, the eggs of tapeworms, for example. Oh, oh well, okay. That's why you should cook... Yeah, well, you're a vegetarian, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Safe. Uh, maybe don't drink out of poo water. I was not planning. Blech. Okay. Um. So uh, what? You, it <laughs> just, also just as a general advice. Mm-hmm. So any uh, it also starts initial uh, because uh, because of the acidity, it also starts to denature some of the proteins and digest the proteins as well. 
Um, we also and it generally it also mechanically digests it, but more by churning and mixing it. Yeah, like physically um, breaking down the food. Yes. Then it goes into the small intestine. Now, as it goes into the small intestine, it comes along with a bunch of enzymes. Those aren't uh, secreted by the intestine, though. Some there are some enzymes just in the intestine, but most of the secreted mixture is coming from the pancreas, which makes a lipase, amylase, and protease, all all of which break down. I did remember that one too. These are made in the pancreas. Yes. The enzymes. Yeah. Yes. Nice. And they're secreted into the uh, into the duodenum, which is the beginning of the small intestine. There's also uh, the liver also ma- uh, also makes a bile, which uh, helps to break up lipid droplets, which is also secreted into the small intestine. Oh. Then the pancreas is the weird feathery thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's why it's uh, that. That's why you might have to draw. Um, the intersection between the small intestine and the stomach because there's a lot going on. You'll have to remember to include the stomach, the beginning of the small intestine, the pancreas, the gallbladder, and the liver because after the liver produces the bile, it's stored in the gallbladder. Yeah. And then the gall... Uh, uh, and so then it's... So if you do the small intestine, within the small intestine, it uh, does more chemical digestion and also absorption. And then it um, allows... Uh, and there's also enzymes on the walls of the small intestine that also break it down. But we're going to get to that more in de- detail later. Then finally, uh, the large intestine reabsorbs water and does um, it's a, uh, does uses bacteria also to break down things further and then also forms and stores the feces, which we then excrete. Bah. Yes. Nice. So that's the basic <laughs> overview of uh, the digestive system. So let's now go into a bit more detail. Let's first look at the structure of uh, the wall of the small intestine. So there's... Villi and microvilli, I know that one. <laughs> We're getting through those days. doing the bare minimum, congratulations. So I do not need to do shit. So I'm <laughs> doing more than the bare minimum here, okay? So there's, uh, there's four main layers. If you're in a biology class, you might have uh, been asked to use a microscope and draw these. Uh, we were... So there's uh, the serosa, which is the outer coat, then muscle layers, which ha- uh, where we have both longitudinal and then inside of it, the circular muscle. Those uh, the longitudinal, if you look at it, you'll uh, see them kind of go, uh, you'll just kind of see very small points, like almost Where's like small the circles. Where's serosa? There ain't no serosa. The serosa is the very outside. Ah, okay. But it's... No, no the, the inner is yeah, okay. <laughs> and then the uh, so then like I said first the longitudinal muscle which is go- uh, which is go- just going to be looking like dots. It's the long. Then this uh, then the circular muscle which you'll be seeing actually in the uh, as the strands. Uh, and then the submucosa which has blood and lymph vessels because when we're absorbing something we want it to go right into something where it can be transported. So I, the, the blood, the or bloodstream. the lymphatic system. Yes. Ding. And then uh, the mucosa is just the lining with an epithelium on the surface that helps to absorb it. So let's talk about... <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about peristalsis. Mm. Peristalsis is basically how we move things along the gut. So it's, the, uh, it's a combination of the contraction of the circular and the longitudinal muscle layers. Basically, when the circular muscle closes around it, then the longitudinal can actually push it down. The food. Yes. Don't use it. Or the digested, uh, digested material. Right. The X food. Then uh, basically, so you can feel that sometimes in your esophagus because when you... When you touch your neck and you swallow, you can feel it. Yeah, you can kind of feel it go down. 
So this is uh, the yeah, air tube. I'm sorry, my dude. Yeah, Luftröhre. Uh, but like called? it pushes it forward. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, and those uh, those are called peristalsis. Yeah, the movement. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's why you can eat something upside down and it won't exactly. just fall out. And ter- uh, peristalsis also happens in the small intestine, right? Like that's also how food is tra- moved along. Exactly. The small it doesn't just float in there. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Well, it would just yeah, no, get stuck. I I thought it. I, I, yeah. yeah. Okay. You and don't get just get stopped like a wurst. <laughs> pancreatic juice, folks. Um, the pancre- so the pancreatic juice it has enzyme uh, so it has the enzymes that has have like the main macro molecules, macro molecule, uh, so macronutrients specifically. Uh, of the macromolecules so there's the amylase that digests starch starch is also known as amylose and remember whenever something ends in ace it basically means it breaks that thing down and then lipase breaks down lipids and protease breaks down proteins and peptides (laughs) correct so what does someone with a lactose intolerance not have lactase yes yes Yes, ma'am okay (laughs) so in the small (laughs) so in this uh, small intestine these are then broken uh, down. So starch is first digested into maltose. This is important. It's not digested into glucose right away. First, just into maltose, which is what? Fundamental. <laughs> <laughs> Two glucose molecules. Right. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> then um, tri- uh, triglycerides are then digested into either fatty acids and glycerol or fatty acids and monoglycerides. Then uh, the uh, phospholipids are uh, broken down into the fatty acids, glycerol, and phosphate by, can you guess it, phospholipase. Yay! And the proteins and polypeptides are made uh, shorter by proteins. And then the wall of uh, the small intestine, like I hinted at earlier, has some... (laughs) (laughs) You could. Do you need a moment? The uh, the wall has... um, immobilized enzymes that continue breaking down things so for example nucleases that uh, break down uh, dna and rna into nucleotides oh, I was say nucleus <laughs> <laughs> nuclei is the correct <laughs> plural of nucleus nuclease that's the important part then and maltase which then digests the maltose into the glucose lactase into lactose uh, so lactase digests lactose into glucose and galactose Sucrase is digested into glucose. Uh, so sucrase digests sucrose into glucose and f- glucose and fructose, and yeah, there's there's a couple more. There's an entire list on pages two hundred eighty two and two hundred eighty three. Yeah, you need to textbook. know those combinations. Yeah, there you go. So, villi. Hey, the one thing Oli remembers. <laughs> so villus. Uh, so why do we have villi even? To increase the surface area of the small intestine. Why do we need to increase the surface oh. area? <laughs> uh, we need to increase the surface area for more absorption yes it's that simple and the entire structure of the villus is actually to like increase the absorption that's why we also have microvilli on top of the villus so more can, absorption exactly more surface area then there's only one layer of epithelial cells meaning that it can pass through easily Mm-hmm. Then we uh, and then we have the blood vessels right below, so they can go right into the blood. We have the lacteal, which Wait, is what goes right into the blood cells. The the, the glucose, really small. Yeah, oh, yeah. glucose and L- and protein. No wait. Yeah, protein. Do not stab. And lipids go. No wait. Fatty acids and glycerin. no li- li- uh, lip- uh, lipids and lipoproteins go into the lacteal. 
which is also right in the village. But, but aren't the lipids broken down by... Something? We're getting to that. Don't worry. We're getting that there. happens after... Wait, wait, wait. We're, we're, we're getting there. Don't worry. Don't worry. <gasps> then the... <laughs> The, then uh, and then they, we can if you look at the villas under a microscope you'll also see that there's a lot of mitochondria which are useful for the energy yeah because we need a lot of energy in order to get active transport to absorb the food um, and we also uh, have dense nuclei because they need to replicate a lot why just because we need a lot of them nice so that's the basic <laughs> That's uh, so, and that's uh, important because you uh, and remember this, and it's long and thin to or again higher surface area to volume ratio. You might need to be able to explain this in a comparing the structure and the function of Evelis. So that's easy points to be honest. It is. Just go for that question every time. <laughs> if you if you get it, um, then uh, so let's talk about. Uh, so uh, not only do they uh, also absorb uh, general um, the macromolecules we were talking about also, but also things like mineral ions and vitamins. Nice. So the mineral ions about that wasn't there something a co something something channel? Thing? That's we're about to go to uh, methods of absorption. So let's just start with what you were talking about. You were talking about um, a co-transporter, specifically a sodium glucose co-transporter. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a facilitated diffusion. However, uh, uh, however, we still need ATP in order to get glucose into the cell because the reason why is that on the other side of the cell, so there's a diagram on page 284 of the textbook, is because a sodium-potassium pump pumps out the sodium out of the epithelial cell Meaning that into there's the villus or outside the into the villus, into the villus, mm -hmm. but outside of the epithelial cell. Mm -hmm. um, so then the uh, the co-transporter wants to take the sodium from the high concentration to the low concentration inside the villus. Exactly, but that is only achieved if the glucose also goes in it uh, together with it. So uh. the sodium and the glucose are transported together into the. The villus. sodium takes the glucose on the hand. Yeah. Ah, yeah. And then they hoop together in Hoopsa-Schritt. Yes, the, the, because they are in love. They, they are very much in love, yes. Okay, so <laughs> the, um, uh, now you were also asking about the triglycerides earlier. Mm -hmm. It is true that the triglycerides are first broken up into like monoglycerides and fa fatty acids. They can, uh, so the uh, fatty acids are just absorbed by a facilitated diffusion. They're fine. They, uh, and a monoglyceride, I believe, can even just simple diffusion. They can pass through the membrane. Nice. Um, however, once they're in it, they are um, put back together. Ooh, the the, 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 mono, uh, the monoglyceride and the fatty acids are mm -hmm. put back together to form a triglyceride, and then it's uh, and then it uh, coalesces together with uh, cholesterol and proteins into a lipoprotein. So lipid. It's broken down to move into the villus just to be reformed inside the villus. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't fit through the pores of the villas. Yeah, that otherwise. sounds unnecessarily complicated. Well, no. If you like, if you're trying to transport something, you're going to break it down first, put it into a box, move it across like whatever you want to move it across, and take it back up. It's it's like up. I guess yeah. it's like that uh, prank some people play where they deconstruct someone's car and build it up again in their like in a room, you know? Yeah. Because anyway. they couldn't fit that through the door, you know. But are just like that. But the thing is that uh, uh, this is still an epithelial cell. So in order to get it out of the epithelial cell, they move it out via exocytosis. The lipid parts. The lipoprotein. 
Uh, so the lipoprotein still forms in the epithelial cell and then yeah. to get the lipoprotein out of the epithelial cell into the lacteal um, to then be transported into the lymphatic system. Lymphatic system? Um, lymphatic system. We use exocytosis. Correct. Damn. Uh, and then, uh, and yeah, I believe that, uh, I believe those are the main parts that uh, of like transport that you uh, that you'll probably need to know about again it's uh, that's another question that they might ask asking about uh, asking you to uh, compare the different things and remember you need atp for exocytosis we need atp for the uh, so that's active transport would be the exocytosis and moving glucose in even though we don't directly need it during the glucose transport but we need the active transport to transport out the sodium to create that low sodium concentration. Nice. Okay, then there's some things about modeling the small intestine with dialysis tubing. Yeah. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Otherwise, um, also another thing is that uh, when we're digesting starch, there's amylose and amylopectin. If you remember from our unit two episode, amylose is uh, unbranched. It's just one to four linkages. Mm -hmm. And uh, amylopectin is mainly one to four with occasional one to six. And glycogen is uh, uh, most uh, is a lot. It's very branched. Okay, that was digestion and absorption. So let's move on to the blood system. So first, we need to know about some history. Uh, the Sir Vil William Harvey. Um, basically, in uh, back in the olden days, um, they uh, they used to go, uh, when they embraced the Greeks again. Uh, which was great for some art and literature, but not very good for science. Uh, they were like, oh yes, they, the blood is transporting the good spirits. And it's, and it's made in the liver. Yeah, and, but William Harvey was like, there's no evidence for that. Let me try some stuff out. Basically, what he, uh, one of his experiments was to show that there's unidirectional flow by, cu like cutting off the, uh, by tightening the bloodstream to the arm and like making a hole so the veins would pop out. That way he could like... Uh, use uh, his finger to close off the veins and show that the blood stopped flowing afterwards. Not showing that there's unidirectional flow. I like how small the hands are in the diagram. <laughs> We're looking at uh, the diagram on page 290. Uh, it also specifies, which I just found amusing, uh, he overcame widespread opposition by publishing his results and also by touring Europe to demonstrate experiments that falsified previous theories and proved, uh, provided evidence for his theory. So, you know, if people ever doubt you, just do a tour. Um, so let's begin. Arteries. I mean, that's what YouTubers do quite often, don't they? Uh, arteries. Now, um, arteries are very thick. They have a lot. Uh, they have a thick layer of muscle and a quite uh, and also a tough outer coating, in order to be able to. So yeah, right. Resist they, pressure. They have a thick. Uh, they have a thick tunica externa, a tunica media. Um, a tunica, uh, tunica intima, or also known as an endothelium, and a lumen. Yeah. And the uh, lumen is rel relatively thin compared to the thick wall. The reason for that is because it needs to be able to maintain pressure, because the blood is pumped through it at a very high pressure so it can circulate to the entire body. Yeah. Wouldn't want it bursting. The artery yeah. is uh, the artery is responsible for moving blood away from the heart, mm -hmm. meaning that most of the time it carries oxygenated blood, but don't say always, because the pulmonary artery, which pumps blood to the lungs, is yes. not is going to carry deoxygenated blood. This is how they get you. Yeah, that is. I have seen that. I've seen that a few times in past paper questions that they ask which of these de carries deoxygenated blood, and it ends up being the pulmonary artery, and you think that it's 
no mm. because it's the artery <sighs> so or it asks you like what are, what is a valid comparison between the two mm-hmm. uh, so between arteries and uh, veins um you're very s- slow with your bionatum i do so the tunica so media okay. uh has uh, is made of smooth muscle and elastic fibers made of elastin yeah <laughs> what is made of elastin uh the uh tunica media what is tunica media the central layer of uh, of the artery nice does the vein also have a tunica media yes but it's a lot thinner because the lumen is way bigger in the exactly veins. yeah so um what because they have to carry um blood traveling at slower uh, velocities pressures i mean it is is slower velocity i guess yeah but it's um it's at low pressures yeah Uh, but first let's uh, let's look at we're not in physics class also the uh, muscle and elastic fibers help help to maintain the uh, blood pressure between the pumping cycles oh yeah so then the capillaries. The capillaries are very have a very thin membrane and are very permeable. So that way we can uh, exchange material between the blood and the uh, outside cells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very simple. Only one blood cell at a time can fit through some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, veins. They're very small. Yes. So uh, veins uh, collect blood at a very. So Einbahnstraße. Take at, yeah. I mean all of the. I mean yeah, all of them are Einbahnstraße, but I mean more as in it's very. I would Narrow. say veins are the most Einbahnstraße because they have the valves. Exactly, that's what I was True. about to get to. Veins, they have uh, they have valves, meaning that, uh, to prevent backflow. Basically, when uh, the uh, because the blood needs to go travel up the body most of the time. Because think about how much of your body is below your heart versus above your heart. The penis erects. Okay. <laughs> How does the blood stay inside the penis? No, it doesn't stay inside the penis. It's just more blood flows to the penis. Uh-huh. Wait. If it, if it stayed inside the penis after a few minutes. Wait, is that why older men have trouble getting an erection? Because I don't know enough about this. And weaker just, hearts? No, no. That's, not, the- that's not the entire thing. It might be contributing, um, but... But um, I don't think it's entirely le- like it, I don't. Isn't it then then very high pressure for a man's heart to stay re- erected for a longer time? It's a very small part of the body. Oh yeah, true. Okay, so, tangent. Yeah. Time is over. We're back to. <laughs> we don't need to know about One any thing, of this. One thing though, I'm not sure. I think it might stay in there because um, you can get a, a blood vergiftung if you have an erection for longer than four hours. What? Yeah, because then the blood cells start to die off and shit. <gasps> okay, again, we're doing a uh, tangent. Time is over. We don't need That's to know why it any of this. always says that in medical advice. <laughs> veins, veins, Ve- veins. They uh, because there's more. <laughs> I didn't ask for specific organs beneath the heart. I just said in general. It'll uh, because we're trying to get uh, the <laughs> blood back your... up, and because the pressure is lower, um, it, it's more likely to uh, try and flow down. At which point we need to say no, uh, and the valves push it up. Hmm. So then. Um, yeah, blood can't flow back down against your consent or on, against the valve's consent, I guess. <laughs> on page 294, there's also a bit of comparison between arteries, veins, and capillaries. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, basically, we, ha- we have what's called a double circulatory system. Single circulatory system, and for example, fish, it's just when we have... Well, they don't have lungs, you know. But, they go pa- <laughs> but it goes past the gills. The main reason is because it's not as high pressure. And so, uh, uh, but meanwhile, we 
our blood can't stay at such a high pressure for long enough. So we have to have one um, cycle, the systemic circulation that go- goes between the heart and other organs, mm-hmm. and the pulmer- pulmonary cy- uh, circulation that goes between the heart and the lungs. Basically, what happens is that the uh, there's a simplified diagram on page 295 of the textbook and the same one on page 74 of uh, the study guide. Um, basically, what happens is that um, oxygenated blood flows to the or- uh, to the organs, deoxygenated blood back to the heart, out to the lungs. There it gets oxygenated, it flows back to the heart, repeat the cycle. You'll have to draw a more um, uh, in-depth diagram than what is on there, though. Yeah. yeah. Um, Look at diagrams. You usually you time. also just have to like draw chambers, and it's also uh, even if it's just a box heart. Yeah. But and you typically have to also be able um, to name all the different arteries and veins and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, you have to be able to uh, you have to be able to name the pulmonary artery, the pulmonary vein. But we're going to talk about that more when we now look at the heart structure. Uh, on page 295, there's an example of a heart structure. Basically, there's the left ventricle, the right ventricle, the left uh, 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 the left atrium and the right atrium now atrium much like entrance hall is where the blood comes in we're going to start on the right atrium which is on the left side the reason for this is because we're looking at uh, because we uh it's we imagine that we um are cutting open a patient well yeah we imagine we're cutting open open a patient but we're looking at the patient's left and right side Mm -hmm. so we see the right atrium we mean what it would be on your right if you're looking at your own heart what would be on the right so we're starting on the left with the right atrium uh, the vena cava leads into it. So the right uh, atrium, um, there uh, it has the deoxygenated blood flows in through the vena cava into the right atrium. From there, it goes into the right ventricle. We're going to talk more about how the beat happens later. And then it flows out through the pulmonary artery. Then um, th- it comes back through the pulmonary veins. There's two. So on the left side with the right atrium there's the uh, superior and the inferior vena cava so the one that comes from above one that comes from below mm-hmm. uh, the pulmonary veins there's just like four of them going in again it goes to the atrial ventricular valve specifically into the left ventricle and then through the semilunar valves out into the aorta which is the main like uh, the main artery the thickest the largest one if you cut the aorta, you will be dead in a few se- seconds to Is minutes. Is the aorta yeah. the one that carries the oxygenated blood? No, it carries oxygenated blood now. What's what? also important to note, if you're drawing it, first of all, there's... Well, it just came back from the lungs. All pulmonary arteries are the ones that carry the oxygenated yeah, exactly. blood. Ha. What's also important to know is I don't believe it's labeled on either of the diagrams, the one on page 75 of the study guide or the one on page 195 of the textbook, but there's also tendons. Mm-hmm. Uh, connecting uh, the for the atrioventricular valves to make sure that uh, the blood can't push back into the atrium. Well, they're drawn and they're just they're, they're drawn and they're not labeled though. Um, and also one important thing to note when you're drawing the heart is that the left ventricle has a thicker wall than the right ventricle. Can you uh, take a guess at why that is? Well, <laughs> I listened a little bit. The thicker wall means it's thick because it needs to push out blood at more pressure because that's the where the blood goes to the entire body yeah basically because if we <laughs> pumped uh, blood as uh, we, if we pumped uh, blood as if the pressure was as high in the pulmonary artery as it was in the aorta we would damage our lungs we don't yeah. want as high of a pressure to go into our lungs as it, uh, as we do want yeah. to go into the rest of our body we would just start coughing blood and die 
Then there's also an instruct Damn. there's an instructional thing on how to dissect a heart. We, we don't, don't need that. Yeah, we don't need that. We need Unless you have a practical cycle. test that where you need to dissect the heart, I don't think that's basically. But let's talk about um, cardiac cycle. Not yet. Arteriosclerosis. Can I have one very small tangent? Are you allowed to morally object to um, dissecting a heart as a vegan? This has nothing to do with this. (laughs) We can talk about this later. So, arteriosclerosis. So, we look at... um, If you look at the um, artery, uh, uh, then if there's damage on the side of the artery... Then there'll uh, then I believe then coloss- uh, cholesterol will um, coalesce around it around the damage exactly mm-hmm. and but then where, uh, to kind of signify that there is damage there it needs to be fixed but then the endothelium grows about over it over the cholesterol exactly and that then thickens all around yeah that that then creates a bump making it more likely to uh, be damaged again making it more likely to coalesce and that is then what usually ends up happening when people have fatty deposits in their uh, veins and arteries. Yeah. It's like those diagrams they always show you as dangers yeah. of a bad diet uh, yeah. to your uh, uh, cardiovascular health. And then that leads to the veins and arteries becoming thinner at that area, right? Becomes, and, and specifically well, they become clogged. Yeah, yeah, clogged. And then blood can go through them as efficiently. Exactly. And that leads to a heart attack or something? Well, it can lead uh, to that area breaking more. Yeah. yeah. Um, and well, it makes the pressure not very equal throughout. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, this was, and sp- when this happens on the coronary arteries, which are specifically the arteries that are on the heart themselves, mm-hmm. um, that can then lead to coronary heart disease, which Ooh. you might have heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, because Wait, it that, stops... Isn't that double thing, coronary yeah. and heart? No, because coronary, uh, because it's about the coronary arteries oh, okay. specifically, the ones that deliver blood, uh, that deliver oxygen to the heart muscles. Yeah, mm. that's uh, I've seen that on a uh, I've seen that on a multiple choice question. It asked what uh, what delivers oxygen to the heart muscle, mm. which was yeah, well. coronary arteries. There's a couple of things uh, because uh, of the way scientific research is. We don't know exactly what causes it, but we do know like risk factors associated with that. So high concentrations of low density lipoprotein, chronic high blood glucose, for example, due to overeating, obesity, or diabetes, um, high blood pressure because of smoking, stress, or other causes, consumption of trans fats. And um, there's also some more recent theories as well. Um, Don't we're getting to now we're getting to the cardiac cycle. Yay. So, she happy. It's she stimulated happy. by the sinoatrial node, the cardiac cycle. Yeah. Yes, the SA node. It's because the because the muscles in the heart are called myoge- myogenic muscles, meaning they're able to contract by themselves. Right. However, um, the sinoatrial node, the SA node, acts as a pacemaker. Uh, it's located in the right atrium, and basically, it um, it, it induces when uh, the heart should contract. Mm-hmm. That's why when uh, you might associate the word pacemaker with something artificial, because when older people, when the SA node stops working properly, they might have to have a partially or completely artificial pacemaker um, in, in their put that in gives their... off these impulses. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, initially, the uh, the impulse made from the right atrium spreads all around uh, sp- spreads all around the heart. The, uh, no, all around only the atriums to contract. Ah. Um, which the atriums, uh, the ventricles. No, the atriums, atria. 
Ah, okay. The uh, so there's a bit of delay between the atrial and the ventricular contraction because that way the blood can flow from the atrium into the ventricles, ah. and the blood can go into the ventricles. Then the uh, then it travels down the septum through the Purkinje fibers, mm-hmm. and then goes up from there and contracts the ventricles from the bottom up, so that way the blood flows. Out of the to- uh, through the top. Oh. I think you forgot the atrioventricular node. Right, the atrioventricular node um, is uh, the thing that uh, is the thing that is activated to send the impulse down the Purkinje fibers to create the impulse up through the ventricles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sinoatrial node uh, is the one that activates that thing. So. And what activates the sinoatrial node? Sino- it does that. It, it does that. For itself. Yeah. It's, nice. it's a strong independent woman. Damn. Okay. So go as a um, basically let's just go quickly through what a, a normal heartbeat would look like. So this is assuming 75 beats per minute. So 0.8 seconds per beat. Mm-hmm. So in the first 0 to 0.1 seconds, basically um, the atria contract. So, uh, so the, uh, there's a rapid increase and it causes the blood to flow into the, um, val- uh, into the uh, ventricle. Then... The, atrioventric- uh, the atrioventricular valves are closed uh, and the semilunar valves are closed in the beginning. Also, at this point, uh, the uh, pressure in the arteries is at its lowest mm-hmm. be- uh, because uh, currently the uh, semilunar valve is closed and so there's no blood flow, uh, no new blood flowing into them. Into what? Into the uh, arteries. Mm-hmm. So... Um, the atri- uh, but then for a bit, the, both the atrioventricular valve is closed and the semilunar valve is closed as the ventricle contracts. But as the ventricle contracts, the pressure in the ventricle grows mm-hmm. and it goes above that of the arteries. At that point, uh, the semilunar valves open and the blood flows into the um, arteries. Mm. Then, um, eventually though, uh, the uh, pressure drops in the ventricle, the semilunar valves close, and then uh, blood begins to flow back into the atrium. Uh-huh. And then the whole thing repeats again. Exactly. Then and the SA node um, does the signaling, yeah. and then the atria let the, uh, give the blood into the ventricles, and then the, uh, the atrioventricular node is activated causing the pump of the ventricles out into the yeah dam. and there's a, a pr- and you should be familiar with the pressure changes so sh- you should be able to uh, realize what the diagram means on page 75 of the study guide or 301 of the textbook uh, and so for example you might see the way that the pressure of the ventricle rises above the pressure of the artery ca- uh, causing it to open and blood to go into the artery and then the pressure of the artery decreases again right before the ventricle comes in and the atria you can see when they contract and then they go down and then contract and yeah mm-hmm. and when the blood starts flowing in again nice. uh. so the last part about um circulation uh, so the blood system is uh, epinephrine epinephrine also known as adrenaline um increases your uh, increases the heart rate so you can prepare for physical activity it's usually released when something scares you or when you're just preparing to do physical activity if you're preparing to fight or run away. Basically. 
Um, I believe it. Uh, I believe one of the multiple choice question past papers said uh, when a coach is yelling at you to do physical activity, that's when epinephrine is released. You should all be familiar with that one. What is norepinephrine? It's the um, antagonist, basically. It's more uh, important for neuropsychology. Ah, nice. Okay. Now we're going to skip 6.3 um, uh, for a bit now because it comes up again in unit 11 in more detail, so we're going to cover it then. But for now, 6.4, gas exchange. Mm -hmm. Basically, we've talked about respiration, but how do we even get oxygen into our system? Now, uh, ventilation basically looks at the gradients of oxygen and carbon dioxide between the alveoli and um, the blood in the adjacent capillaries. Now, on page 311 of the textbook and page 79 of the study guide, you will see a diagram of alveoli, of an alveolus, plural alveoli. Um, there's, two, uh, there's two types of pneumocytes. The first one is just a very thin cell. We need it to be... What is a pneumocyte? A pneumocyte. Pneumo, it's like with breathing. Pneumo. Yeah. And site, it's cell. As a breathing cell. Basically. Yeah. Nice. And there's type 1 and type 2. Type 1, like I said, is a very thin cell that uh, because we need the oxygen and the carbon dioxide to dissolve across it into the capillaries that surround the al alveolus. Mm -hmm. And then the type 2 pneumocytes, they secrete a surfactant. A what? A surfactant is basically prevents the alveolus from sticking together, from collapsing. Because you from have sticking to together... From collapsing because, listen, wait, mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, the alveolus is very moist, mm -hmm. and because we need the uh, the gas to diffuse across uh, the moist uh, surface, yeah, yeah, moist surface. However, remember, water is cohesive. Uh huh. It sticks. It wants to stick together. But stick with what? The it's alveoli to eat. If there's, it's, if the, also it's very the alveolus is very small, so when there's water on one side and water to the other side, if there was no surfactant, it would just collapse. Ah, okay. Water wants to stick to everything else too. Just nice. Yeah, and so the uh, surfactant stops it from sticking to itself and keeps the alveolus in a good shape. Uh -huh. um, so uh, the general uh, the general structure of the lungs is that it's basically a bunch of small alveoli. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and then the type 1 pneumocytes, like I said, they carry out gas exchange. Um, type 2 pneumocytes, like I said. So, um, the the airways. Basically, you have the trachea, trachea, mm -hmm. uh, which is your main like ventilation tube through which the air flows, uh, which then goes into the lungs, which have bronchioles, which then branch off, and then, yeah. Mm -hmm. But how do we get air into our lungs? We know how to fuse it across now, but how do we get them in there? Well, breathing, duh. Yeah, but how does breathing work? Impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so something, something diaphragm and Posh intercoastal muscles. Exactly, we have the diaphragm and we have the intercoastal muscles. Um, what we need, uh, so there's inspiration and expiration. Basically, that. Uh, inspirar y expirar for everyone who had Spanish. Uh, especially with MSIL. Yeah. Anyway, Legend. there's the diaphragm and the ribcage. The diaphragm, when we're uh, inspiring, it moves downwards and flattens, and the ribcage moves upwards and outwards. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can feel this with yourself if you're like doing deep breathing exercises. 
basically you'll know uh, this is also the volume of the lungs increases because at that point we have a lower pressure inside the lungs allowing the air to flow inside of it outer intercostal muscles contract we're gonna we're getting there the inner <laughs> we're getting there i need to go though um i need to unload the dishwasher go then on. go unload the dishwasher Yo. i just wanted to share my knowledge okay i'm sorry <laughs> Okay, so uh, we want to maximize the pressure. That way we have, uh, we want to lower the pressure by maximizing the volume. Because automatically when there's a lower pressure somewhere, um, the gases will flow into us. That's yeah. why you, you cannot, like, you, uh, you cannot like, expand the volume of your chest without automatically breathing in. Because that's, when you're breathing in, you're not actually taking in the air. Oh my god, yeah. It just flows in automatically after you're expanding it. The same with expiration. Uh, your, uh, your diaphragm relaxes and moves upwards, becoming more don't, ca causing the air to push out, and the uh, chest moves downwards and inwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, this happens... Uh, so again, we want the pressure change, and this is done through antagonistic muscles. We're going to talk about muscles a bit later on as well, but basically what you need to know is that a muscle can only ever contract... Hmm? It can also relax, but it cannot lengthen itself. Uh -huh. It can only ever shorten itself. When it relaxes, it just sits there. If there was, that's why we need antagonistic muscle pairs, muscle pairs that work against each other, so that when one relaxes, the other, uh, uh, the other contracts. contracts. So you'll notice this with your triceps and your biceps. If your triceps is contracted, then your biceps is relaxed, and then when you contract your biceps, hmm. then your tr uh, triceps is relaxed. Hmm. If, they, if you did not have a triceps, for example, you could only ever contract your uh, biceps and then you'd have to move it manually in order to get it down again. Damn. So uh, what we have is, uh, the I believe it's the diaphragm uh, muscles and also um, the uh, muscles in the ab abdomen wall. So the diaphragm contracting, because it's usually domed, the diaphragm contracting straightens it out. But then when it relaxes, then the muscles in the abdomen wall uh, contract to push up the diaphragm oh my god so breathing is a full body experience yes basically <laughs> full and, upper body experience and then you have the external intercoastal muscles and the internal intercoastal muscles Ach, the intercoastal muscles are the muscles between the ribs the external ones push it out and the internal ones push it in Mm. It's because the external ones, I believe, are only at the sides. So when you contract them, it pushes the rest of the ribcage out. And the intercoastal are all the way around. So when you contract mm. them, it pushes it in. Mm. Okay. So let's talk about lung cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So uh, ca lung cancer is the most common cancer in the world. And 87% of cases are caused by smoking. Don't smoke, kids. Um, and 3% uh, is of that is passive smoking. Also, don't have parents who smoke. <laughs> Basic, uh, and then air pollution also causes about 5%. Oh, Dios mio. And radon gas can also cause significant numbers. What kind of gas? Radon gas. What's radon gas? Radon is an element. Ah, wait, where do I find radon? It's not near here. Okay, nice. <laughs> uh, and then also asbestos, silica, and other solids can cause lung cancer if they're inhaled. 
uh, one of the reasons for this is because, uh, well, some, sometimes these things contain mutagens, which directly impact the chance of mut. We talked about this in unit yeah. about unit one point six, but some of them can cause mutations. But sometimes also just if they're damaged enough and they constantly need to be replaced. Who the alveoli? No, like yeah, the cells and lung cells. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means uh, if they constantly need to be replaced, that increases the chance of one of them mutating. Oh, interesting. Because uh, or the chance or the chance that one of them will be mutated. Um, also, only fifteen percent of patients with lung cancer survive for more than five years. Don't smoke, kids. <laughs> um, yeah, and then another thing you need to know about is emphysema. 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 Mm-hmm. Basically, emphysema. It's uh, it's essentially when the um uh it's when the alveoli uh go together uh when they stick together not exactly but basically when there's not uh when there's not as many alveoli but the quantity decreases so they're just bigger Mm. and which means that they are not as effective okay Meaning, uh, uh, so there's uh, a comparison picture on page 318 of the textbook with healthy lung tissue versus lung tissue showing emphysema. Oof. How, what is, um, by what is emphysema caused? Uh, I believe, um, then, so, uh, smoking it is usually causes it and breathing polluted air makes it worse. Don't smoke, kids. <laughs> and I believe that is it for uh, this part of the physiology uh, unit we're going to continue next time i we believe we can thank our guest speaker because he has gone to unload the dishwasher but next time we're going to be talking about neurons and synapses as well as uh, hormones and homeostasis and all of that fun stuff fun 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 oh, our Actually, guest speaker is he back. just returned uh with two new bionaden do you want a new jesus bionada? christ no <laughs> why do you not want a new bionada but anyway we, that, that is not relevant goodbye bye